Today's podcast is brought to you by the engagedinvestor.ca, helping you find and present to joint venture partners. Get your free video training right now at engagedinvestor.ca forward slash breakthrough. Hi, this is Dion Beg from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, episode 32. Welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake and here with me as always is Sandy McKay. Hey Rob, I'm excited to be on again. Let's let's uh, go. Me too, man. Pumped up. It's been too long. <laughs> it's always too long. We got to figure out a way to pump these out quicker. I know, I know. But we've got a great guest on tonight, so it'll be awesome. We've got Rich Danby here tonight. We Rich, do. how you doing? Welcome, Good. Rich. Good. How are you guys? Awesome. And hey, happy birthday. Thanks. Thanks for having That's me right. on the show. Happy birthday, yeah. Good stuff. It was yesterday. Did you get lots of presents or what? Well, I did, yes. It was uh, It was exciting. I, my, my, my son gave me a gift. He's a, He just started university. I asked him to read a book. It's called Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. Uh-huh. So I heard that. that's what I asked him for for my birthday. I don't really want stuff. I just want him to learn and grow. So he sent me a text on my birthday saying he completed the task. So that was a great birthday gift. And then from my wife and younger kids, they 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 got clothes for me. So just added to my wardrobe. It was great. That book by Napoleon Hill that just came out a couple of months ago or a year ago or something, didn't it? Yeah, it was released in 2011, but it was written 70 years ago. Right. And Napoleon Hill sat on it because he didn't think that the world was ready to hear his point of view on uh, issues as far as how the education system worked and religion. So he waited until after he passed away and then asked his wife to pass that book forward. And she wanted to wait until she passed away. And then once she passed away, then that's when the book was uh, released. Wow. I well, I haven't read it yet. No, I haven't either. That's amazing. I could send you the audio file. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, it's great. I love learning that way. (laughs) That's my favorite way to read a book. Absolutely. Okay, um, just a couple of other things here before we get going. Everyone should go over to our website and get our free gift, the seven freedom activators that you can trigger in your property starting right now. It outlines the things that you probably aren't doing when it comes to managing your rental properties. And this guide has some great tips on how you can uh, give yourself some more freedom by getting your systems in place as a landlord. So everyone should go over to BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca and check that out. Yeah, for sure. And um, as always, check us out on iTunes. Give us a review, five-star rating. We always appreciate that. It helps us get this 
podcast out to more ears throughout the country and um you know gets it into people who really want to get this knowledge so really appreciate that always and i do want to say that we are working to improve the website i know that there's not much there besides the show itself and a lot of people don't use the website to actually download the show from they have their other audio uh, programs that they use for that like itunes or whatever else so we're working to give the website a little more unique content. So please go by and check check back often to see what new stuff we've got posted there. And like I said before, everyone should use the comments section for each episode as a forum to get some conversation going. If you have something you'd want to discuss about an episode that we've recorded, then just go over there and you know drop us a question or leave a comment about it. Yeah, it would be greatly appreciated, and we get some feedback about our guests and about what you like, what you don't like, and uh, some of maybe some burning questions that you have. And speaking of burning questions, we have an idea for a new segment of the show that we're going to start very soon. So we'd like people to email us with those burning questions, and what we're going to do is get the best expert that we know to answer those questions here on the show as a small new segment. So if you have something you want to know about, just leave us a question in the comments section and we're going to have the best expert that we can find to answer those for you. Or you can also email us at info at BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca. Very good. Awesome. So um, what else have we got, Rob? <clears throat> Should we just get into it or we got some uh, any news? Just one, well, a couple more quick things. So I just wanted to find out from you because you were living in the office or something like that last time we spoke. So I just wanted to know how the renovations were all going in your principal residence. Yeah, I know. It's always fun. Um, pretty good. Pretty good. We're almost done. I'm in the, I'm in the home office now. So oh, you're in the good. home office now. Yeah, so I've upgraded this time. <laughs> that's good. We're getting close. We're about a week away from uh, actually being done. So it's a good feeling. That's nice. And what about your other, the, the place you're duplexing? Uh, you know what? We just bought a flip, actually. Oh, did you? Gonna, uh, probably going to be a flip. Um, either that or we'll fix it up, refinance, and hold it. But I think we're going to flip flip it. Um, just bought it yes, uh, yesterday, yeah. See, I have a feeling I know how this is going to go. Sandy, Sandy, you're all into the flip, I, which is fine. You know, that's good because every now and then, with oh, you guys got a bunch of investments, so every now and then you just want that chunk of cash. But I have a feeling it's not going to go that way. They're going to fix we'll it and hold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it kind of works that way usually. My it better half usually leads, leads me that way. Yeah. yeah, which isn't a bad thing either. No, I oh, for sure. I, I don't I don't mind holding it for sure. And the flip that I'm doing right now, I I think I remember telling you that I wasn't planning on doing anything to it. I was just going to uh, just going to list it as it was and and have that be my first sale as an agent my first uh my first listing as an agent mm. but that has turned into nothing that even remotely resembles that it's uh, it's fully gutted right now <laughs> so, oh yeah yeah so you know and then i and then i question myself and i go why don't you just stick to your plans sometimes man mm. like now look at you got too many things on the go but you know i think it'll be worth it but right now i'm pulling my if I can, the little bit of hair that I can grab onto, I'm pulling it out. <laughs> so. Oh, you'll uh, figure it out, I'm sure. Yeah, I'll keep you guys up to date on that. But that is it. That's it. So we should get into the interview. No need to make Rich sit there and listen to all this. Oh, it's all good. <laughs> 
Yeah, we've got um, the president of Rich Ottawa Investments on the show tonight, Rich Danby. And I, we won't get into too much about it. We'll let him uh, talk a bit about it. Welcome to the show, Rich. Thank yeah. you, Sandy. Thanks, Rob. Um, why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and, and how you got involved into real estate? Sure. Well, I've been investing in real estate for just over 15 years. And how I got into it was uh, the same way everyone else does, which is needing a place to live. Uh, so I bought a property and a year later we got a knock at the door essentially from somebody who wanted to buy the house. So to make a long story short, we did a quick rental on the property and we turned around and sold it and we made a $66,000 profit in one year. So my introduction to real estate was by fluke that somebody really wanted to buy that property and that created the bug for real estate that's lasted, uh, lasted a lifetime now. Cool. And what's your business look like now? Well, uh, I was a TV producer for 15 years, producing and directing sports, and that was a lot of fun. But uh, I was doing real estate on the side the entire time, slowly adding to my portfolio uh, one property after another. And after uh, many successes over the past few years, I just decided that it was time to walk away from broadcasting, uh, mainly because I didn't have time to do both anymore. So I've been investing in real estate all this time, and now I just do it full time, and I love it. It's great. What is it now that you like? How do you help others achieve their real estate goals? Because I know you work with partners and and that sort of thing. Right. Sure. Sure. Well, it, what I do essentially is uh, I'm a coach. I'm a mentor. So I help people in that way. The people who they want to get to where I am, and so uh, they want to learn how to invest in real estate, how to grow their own portfolio, and you know learn uh, the ins and outs of what it takes, not just with learning education related to the real estate itself, but also developing the mindset, habits, and skills to be able to achieve great success. So that's the coaching and mentoring side. But in addition to that, I also do partnerships. Many of the properties that I own are co-owned with uh, what what's called joint venture partners. And so it's a great situation for people who are very busy in their lives uh, and they really don't have the time to be real estate experts and nor do they want to be. They really want to own properties, but they don't want the hassles of being a landlord. So it's a great situation where they fund the deal and I do all of the work and we win. So we're taking, it's like a peanut butter and sandwich, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. They're bringing the peanut butter, I'm bringing the bread, and together we're creating a wonderful sandwich. And you know, you, um, you, you find a lot of your deals privately, don't you? I'd like to talk a little bit about that because I do something very sure. similar so sure. let's hear about um your private deals and how you come across those sure well um as far as funding the private deals is concerned uh it's really quite simple canadians have lots of money that they're sitting on if they've owned their property for over 10 years there's lots of line of credit available to them and so uh capital is everywhere people are not satisfied with the stock market uh and they're just not getting the returns that they need as inflation is going up higher than and then their income. So looking at things like stocks and bonds and mutual funds, it's just not producing the kind of returns that people are looking for today. So investing in real estate is a hard bricks and mortar asset. It's not a paper asset. It's not going anywhere. And even if it did, you have insurance to cover off that type of a scenario. So uh, basically, it's a great way for people to put their money into something and get a great return on their investment. And for me, as a person who also flips properties, as both of you guys do, and I refinance, I buy properties, I add value. And so essentially, their investment is secured that way. 
And for me, it's also a great deal because I now have all the funds I need to do all the deals that I want to do. So it's a win-win for everybody. Which markets do you invest in then and, and why? Well, uh, I started investing in Ottawa and I started there because that's where I lived. I invested there for 10 years where I was buying things steadily. And then four years ago, I decided to start moving my portfolio out of Ottawa. So I didn't sell anything. I just, all of the new stuff I was buying primarily was in Hamilton, Ontario. And the reason I chose Hamilton, Ontario is because of the economic fundamentals. I knew that there was a lot of jobs coming uh, because the steel industry had uh, gone through some setbacks. For the first time, the city really had to start thinking about what was plan B. And for all these years, the steel industry was running along just fine. Uh, but as that changed, the city had to start thinking, what can we do to correct this? So they started looking at things like transit. They developed the, um, the, um, the, the Lincoln Alexander and the Red, the Red Hill Valley Parkway to create a rectangle around the city, which made it much more accessible from Toronto or Buffalo. You know, they started offering incentives. There were more jobs coming in and also... The incentives were related to, you know, in, uh, changing the facade of some of the properties and some of the locations across the city. So um, essentially, it just became an attractive place to invest because where there's jobs, there's people. Uh, and where there's, you know, where there's people, there's renters. And those renters, after a three, you know, three, four year cycle, they start to become buyers. So essentially, I'm buying in at, um, you know, a low price uh, as, you know, as people are just starting to come here. You look at things like transit now with the new GO station down at Barton and James Street. Uh, that makes Toronto much more accessible. You could get on the GO train for about $5. You drive to Toronto. You could be on your iPad, your iPhone, your laptop. Uh, you're not stuck in traffic. You're there in an hour. You don't have to pay for parking. So when you come back at the end of the day, you could be productive. And uh, so if you're in within 800 meters of um, the GO station, or major transit area, typically the rents go up 15 to 20%. So uh, also it cranks up property values as a commercial will follow the go, the go transit station. So we'll see more transition uh, in Hamilton in that particular area, and that's going to be excellent for investors who were in before that came in, or even if they're jumping in now, there's still some plenty of upside left. Yeah, it's kind of cool. We're really in an exciting time right in around even like Hamilton and, and Oshawa are actually very similar in in that way anyway that, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we've got the rumors of the ghost station. I think it's going to happen, but I mean, we'll see. And 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 yeah, that's that's going to turn things around in a certain area down there where it's coming in. Um, I've already bought <laughs> bought some property down in that area, just anticipating it. But oh, that's great. I yeah. You know, didn't do any bad deals in, in anticipation, you know, never. No, as long as they cash flow, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, no, it's really exciting. And uh, um, so now, speaking of Hamilton, I know we were talking before and uh, you have kind of an interesting story about a duplex that you were purchasing in Hamilton. Um, uh, you, know, you know the story I'm talking about. Why don't you share it with everybody? So, yeah. So there was a property that I own uh, in Hamilton near Gage Park. And um, next door, we, there were some issues because the tenants that lived in that property were causing a ruckus. And uh, it was causing my tenants a great deal of stress. So my strategy was to buy the property. So I tracked down the owner and I said to him, you know, I'm really interested in buying your property. I understand you've had some problems with your tenants. And, uh, you know, would you be willing to show me the property? So uh, he reluctantly agreed to show me the property. And he told me, OK, I'll show you the property. And I have had a lot of problems with these tenants. 
So I don't want to tell I don't want to tell them that you're uh, potentially interested in buying. So I just told them that you're the maintenance guy. And so I said, okay, no problem. So we walk in the unit and the tenant proceeds to point out every single flaw in the property, which actually basically he ended up throwing the the owner right under the bus, pointing out every problem, pointing out mold here, pointing out things that were, weren't working here, uh, really just disrespecting the owner right in front of him. Uh, but it was it was kind of funny for me because there was a moment where he walks into a, a living room area where he had it uh, draped off with a, a sheet. And so we walk in and the room has graffiti all over the wall. And it's the first time that the owner is seeing this. He hasn't actually been in the property himself for like three or four years. And so the wall is covered in graffiti with profanities. Uh, it's just, it's unbelievable. It looks totally ghetto. And and the tenant proceeds to point out, this is what he says. And you see, look at this guy. He's not taking care of this place at all. Look at this hole in a drywall. <laughs> totally oblivious to what we're seeing. And I could see the look of despair on the owner's face. I felt sorry for him, but it really was a hilarious moment in my real estate investing well, experiences. Well, Rich, what you don't understand is that's art. It is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and and uh, it was it was definitely it was definitely art. Yeah, not not the kind that I want to have on my walls at home, but you know, it works for some people. Now I have a question for you. I've met you, and uh, yes. when I saw you, you did not look like the maintenance man. So I'm curious, like, does he have? Um, like you you wearing nice clothes but you're the maintenance guy coming in to check out all these problems or what how does right that... well it's interesting you should ask that question because the truth of the matter is uh when i'm out there negotiating these deals i i do everything i can to look like the maintenance man i think if you show up in a suit and that you guys are accustomed to seeing me uh presenting and being out there uh in the real estate community uh teaching but uh, when i'm looking at properties i show up dressed in jeans and a T-shirt, I really just try to blend in so that I don't stick out. I, f I find it a lot more effective when negotiating to, you know, you don't want to intimidate the people that you're talking to. And you you also don't want to come across as though you're wealthy because they're not going to be talking uh, best dollar with you at that point. Mm -hmm. Right. So needless to say, then you did well on that place. Well, in, in reality, I didn't end up buying it because oh, the, no. I had negotiated a, a great deal with that seller. And then, uh, unfortunately, the, the downside of uh, going private is um, often the expert pops up before the deal is done. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can have what you think is a great conversation. You negotiate a price and the deal is ready to be done. And then suddenly you get a call and they say, uh, well, actually, I spoke to my brother and right. Mm -hmm. Or I spoke to my cousin. And and so that expert often pops up. In the in the private sale thing, uh, in the private sale scenario, and so the brother was much more aware of what the market value of the property was, and unfortunately, uh, I wasn't able to get the property as a result. So you don't win them all, but you know you get out there, and uh, you know persistence pays. Do you find people have gotten more knowledgeable, general public, on uh, prices of that as like over the years, or is it generally just still a lot of people not really aware of that and and giving away properties for uh, for under market value? Well, I really think it depends on the market that you're in. Uh, for example, in Ottawa, I would think that people are probably not as aware because the market in Ottawa is a little bit soft right now. And one of the beautiful things about coming into Hamilton, as I started investing here four years ago, was that the people of Hamilton did not know what was coming. They didn't understand the economic fundamentals of why investors buy properties. 
you want to be looking ahead, not looking in your rearview mirror after things have already happened, which is what a lot of investors do, who unfortunately they don't have this sophisticated knowledge uh, to understand the economic fundamentals. And so uh, in a situation like Hamilton, the community is aware now and they're well aware because there's lots of um, media coverage related to that. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can pick up the newspaper any day of the week. You could turn on the TV and the people in Hamilton are now really well aware of what property values are, which makes it much more difficult to find those great deals. Yeah, you've got to look for some other motivation. Exactly. Okay, do you want to, so you raise a lot of capital. Do you want to tell us a bit about the creative ways that you do raise capital for your investments? Sure. Um, well, some of the ways in which I raise capital is, is, I would say the most common way is to just sit down with people. There's a lot of people who want to find an alternative to the current investments they have in their portfolio. And so when they understand, they understand the power of real estate. Most people don't need to have that uh, talk. They understand it. What they don't understand is how they can get involved. And so for me, I recognize that there's a lot of people out there who, who don't want to be doing what I do. They have careers already. They don't want to change. They like their jobs. They like their free time. And so those people often have funds available and they want to earn interest on them. So I just sit down with people on a regular basis and I find out what their needs are and find out whether or not I can help them fulfill them. And a lot of times they're, you know, they're looking you know, there's two ways you can invest. You can invest for long-term equity or you can invest for short-term interest. And so for some people, they don't really want to have the responsibility of owning a property for a long period of time. To them, it seems like too big of a commitment. But they would be okay with lending cash for six months or a year, which is ideal in a situation where you're flipping or you're flipping to refinance, right? Renovating to refinance. So uh, for me, a primary source of my investor capital comes from people just like you and I, regular people who are looking for an alternative. Um, second to that, there's, of course, uh, the banks and the B lenders and the private lenders of the world that uh, I don't know personally. So money really is available everywhere, and it's not the issue, to be honest. The real issue is finding the right properties because there are a lot of sophisticated investors out there. And they recognize that they have to follow systems and the amount of money that they pay for a property has to be limited. And it's very difficult when you're competing against um, people who are not following a system. For example, a lot of people in a multiple bid offer situation like you find yourself in almost regularly here in Hamilton, uh, they're more caught up in the hype of being involved in it that they really are just – they think they're at an auction. Okay, I'll pay three fifty. Okay, oh, okay, three seventy. Okay, three three ninety. I'll pay four ten. And they get caught up in that. And there's no way, as as for us as sophisticated investors, we can't compete with that. We also can't compete with the people who have watched HGTV and think that they can go ahead and do it, and it's only going to cost them twenty thousand. When in reality, we know from our failures that it costs a lot more. And uh, then there's the people who just want to live there. And so those are the people nobody can compete against. They know they're overpaying and they don't care because they love the house and they really just want to live there forever. Mm -hmm. So now speaking of finding the deals mm -hmm. that you invest in, you do a lot of private ones. I do. You're saying. So sure. where, where are you finding those deals? Sure. Well, I can tell you that about 50% of my portfolio is through private deals. So, I definitely want to make sure that it's known that the relationship with realtors is extremely important. And even if you are buying privately, you still need the help of a realtor because they have access to comps. 
They can help you negotiate the deal. Uh, they know the history of the property. And also, if for whatever reason you don't end up buying the property, uh, the realtor could also earn the commission off of that, which will only help strengthen that relationship. So what I do when I'm looking for these properties is I follow multiple strategies, but I find the one that's most uh, effective is actually door knocking, is to literally get right out there on a Saturday afternoon and start walking around looking for the properties that are run down, they look tired, maybe they need a new roof, maybe the grass is overgrown, mail is overflowing out of the mailbox, there might be a dumpster in the driveway as, as they're unloading things. I look for garage sales because um, I don't know about you guys, but I have four kids and a wife. And um, the idea of having a garage sale doesn't appeal to me. Typically, what I do when I'm done using things in my house is I put them in a room that I'm, no, that I, that I'm not using and I close the door. And then we get rid of them when we sell the house and move on to the next one, right? So uh, if you see somebody having a garage sale, there's a good chance that they're thinking about selling. So, you know, it's just being creative like that, uh, going online, finding Kijiji ads that are, you know, below page five and six, looking for the ads that are poorly written or they have uh, photos that are sideways or, or massively underexposed. Those people are not sophisticated investors. So if they're putting their ads up uh, looking to get tenants and they're not spending any time on putting up even a decent photo, then you know that they're probably – struggling as a landlord and there's a good chance that you might be able to step in and say hey listen i'm not really interested in renting the place but uh would you consider selling it and uh you guys know that you know if you're bleeding for a couple of months with no rent you know those are the times where you really start reconsidering you know do i want to hang on to this property and if somebody knocked at your door exactly when you're starting to have those thoughts you know you may be inclined to sell it so i see a lot of opportunity in situations like that so now when you like just run through this with me, when you knock on the door, tell me how that goes after somebody comes to the door. Sure. Well, essentially what I do is I straight up ask them. I say, hi, how are you? Uh, I'm just wondering, would you consider selling your property? I'm looking to buy a property for myself in this area. And then they say, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So my follow up question is why? So tell me the reason. And, and the reason I ask that question is because a lot of times they'll say, yeah, yeah, sure. But really, they're just fishing. They want to know. Oh, you know, well, really, somebody's interested in my house. I wonder what I could get for it. They have no plans to move, but they just want to waste, you know, not that they want to waste your time, but essentially that what sends, that's what ends up happening. So, uh, you know, I find out well, why are you considering selling? And if they're wishy-washy about it, then I know they're not thinking about it. And I'll just say, you know, okay, well, call me when that time happens and I'll give them a card and I'll leave. Uh, but if they have a, a good reason, you know, they may say uh, they're downsizing, their kids have all moved out. Uh, or, you know, uh, they got a new job somewhere else, then, then I'll just continue the conversation by asking them, you know, do you have any idea what your property is worth? And then, you know, they'll throw a number out. So if they say 300000 before I start calling a realtor to waste their time, which uh, I'm very sensitive to that because, uh, you know, I work with multiple realtors and uh, I respect their time and I certainly don't want to waste it. So what I'll do at that point is I'll do my own research by going on MLS and, pulling up, you know, three bedroom houses in that particular area and see what they're selling for and kind of compare what, uh, you know, what based on the same um, uh, condition of the property to see what the value is. So if they told me 300,000 and I could see the properties in the area are selling for only 100,000, for example, then I would never waste the realtor's time. I would just uh, move on. But if it seemed like a fair and reasonable price, the, then at that point, I would touch base with a realtor and then 
you know, try to get them involved and see if we can get something sorted out. Very good. Very good. Yeah, I always like learning how other people do things because the one thing that I the one thing that I don't do when it comes to trying to track down private deals mm-hmm. is is door knock. Right. Because I don't know if you've ever heard of Sean Terry. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that I, I learned how to uh, you know find private deals from him. Sure. And uh, and you know his story is one of the very first houses that he knocked on the door. You know, it's got the got the the pit bull in the in the front yard and guy comes out with the ripped off t-shirt and you know what do you want right yeah (laughs) yeah and you know uh and i'm glad that you brought that up because uh when i go to properties and i knock on the door not everybody's happy to see you right Uh, they're very uh um reserved and uh, closed off uh what are you here for what do you want right because people don't you know they they don't they weren't expecting you so uh if i feel the person is uh, aggressive or or is um, close to the idea that I'm standing on their porch. I never leave my card. I just say, uh, you know, thanks so much for your time. They'll 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 say they're not interested, and I'll just move on with my day. But uh, you know, you can kind of get a sense if I hear you know dogs barking, or if I feel any sort of. I mean, what you're describing is a very random situation. So I haven't found myself in that situation yet. But uh, a lot of times I've knocked on doors where it's the tenants that answer. Yeah. And uh, and then, you know, they're suspicious and they're like, you know, I'm like, is the owner here? No, the owner doesn't live here. And then I say, well, do you know how I might be able to get in touch with the owner? And then they're like, why, why, what do you want? And I say, well, I'm interested in buying the place. Well, it's not for sale. And I go, oh, well, it's too bad because I really wanted to renovate uh, this property. I, you know, want to increase the, the, the value of this property and you wouldn't necessarily have to leave. It's just I want to buy properties, add to my portfolio and so um, I'm wondering, you know, if if you could uh, either pass along my card or, you know, I, I asked for the information first. Like I'd rather mm-hmm. have I'd rather get to call the landlord myself through the tenant giving me the number than giving my card to the tenant. But depending on their demeanor, you know, I may just give them the card anyway. And what card are you giving them? Is it like Rich Danby investor? Yeah, cards, I just or? give them my business card. I don't have a special card made up for being an average Joe. But, uh, you know, when I do. If I'm knocking on doors and I don't get an answer, I have a sticky note that I use, and that just has my name and phone number, my first name. I don't put my last name on, but Google makes it pretty easy for people to find you anyways. You can search your phone number or or their name. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I I do give them my business card, and, uh, you know, I haven't had any uh, death threats or anything yet, so it's worked out okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very good. Okay. Um, Sorry, go ahead, Sandy. I was going to get into maybe some RSPs. Sure. That way? Sure. So, because we've talked about some other ways to raise capital and that, which is actually huge. I know a lot of our listeners are maybe just getting going in real estate. They love the idea of raising capital. I know um, starting out, that can be a real, real benefit as long as they know what they're doing on the on the, um, the expert side. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, how, how can people access their RSPs to fund mortgages and like you said there's a lot of people with money tied up in equity in the property that they want to invest with they can also do that through rsps right absolutely you know i think where it starts andy is that people don't even know that they don't know that they can invest their rsps in property and the reason they don't know that is because they're fi- they're financial people they don't want them to know the financial planners so they're not talking about real estate they're talking about stocks and bonds because 
The reality is you can take your money uh, in your RSP, you can transfer it to the cash portion of your RSP and directly invest in real estate yourself. What does that mean? It means that the financial planner no longer makes a cutoff of you. The bank no longer makes a cutoff of you. You're essentially just paying to have your funds with that trust company and the profit is yours. And so uh, the big question is, well, how do I do it? And so what happens is you have to get your money transferred into an institution that allows you to do that. One of those companies is Olympia Trust. And so basically what happens is they have paperwork that you send to whoever, wherever your funds are, and it's basically a request to have them transferred over. Now, nobody wants you to take your business and park it somewhere else, so it's not an easy process to do, and it's a lot of paperwork. So what I do for my investors is I help facilitate that for them a little bit just by being familiar with the paperwork that Olympia Trust has and just sitting down with the investor and kind of giving them a heads up as what to expect. And, and so um, by helping them administrate it and kind of being the middleman, it makes it much easier for them to get through the process. And then they can start investing directly in real estate. A lot of the funding is through second mortgages. So, you know, when you're buying a property at $300,000, for example, and you need, uh, you know, 80% loan and then the other, the other 20% down that you use in cash. So you could get a second mortgage to cover off the, the 20%. Or if people have really large RSPs, they can actually fund an entire first mortgage for you. So essentially, they become the bank. It's a great spot for them to be in because it's a property and the property isn't going, it's not going anywhere. And especially if you're renovating, which I do, I renovate the property. I tell them the property value is going to go down in week one because I'm going to gut the place. After week one, each day I'm going to be adding the value and making it of, you know, making the property worth more. What does that do for you as an investor? It minimizes your risk because as I add value, your risk, be, as if your risk becomes smaller because uh, if, for example, you lent based on the value of the property being 300000 and now I've cranked the value up to three fifty through the rentals I've done, for example, now the investment is even more secure, which means if for whatever reason I don't pay you those mortgage payments, uh, monthly interest payments, that you know you would be able to easily force the sale of the property and recoup your investment. Well, now, can we talk about what the differences are between what someone would get if they were in a traditional RSP as opposed to the kind of returns that they're getting with you if they were to fund a mortgage? Sure. Well, here's the thing. When their money is with a traditional in traditional RSPs, uh, you know, they're first of all, they're investing in, you know, the, the stock, the stock, stock markets and bonds. So, you know, if they're playing a really safe game, they're typically earning, you know, a one to two percent, maybe three percent. If they have a little bit more risk tolerance, then they, you know, with being within that stock market, uh, you know, they have the potential to earn higher than that. The problem is there's fees. There's fees up front. There's fees along the way. There's fees on the back end. So you really have to be earning a pretty significant return in order to be putting that money in your pocket. And unfortunately, people don't realize that until like it's too late, like maybe ten years later when they start looking at their statements and realize that the value of their portfolio is really not that much higher than it was when they put the money in when they calculate all the money that they put in over the years so um, we definitely provide a solution for that and and the beautiful thing about it uh, if you are using your RSPs is that you're in control 
You get to decide the rate. So me as an investor, I'm, I'm saying to you, okay, I'm willing to pay you 8% or I'm willing to pay you 10% or I'm willing to pay you 12%. You have the option to say yes or no. You can negotiate if you feel that that's important to you. No, I'm not going to do it for any less than 15%. Okay, well, now as an investor, I have a choice to make. Do I need the money? Would it help me to borrow the money and pay that 15%? Or would I just say to them, you know, listen, I have too many other investors. So, you know, if you really want to have your money in play, then you're going to have to play at the same level of which all my other investors are at. Right. So for, for a person who has RSPs, you're really just taking back control and you're putting it in, in a real asset. And the other thing is that, that as a person using your RSPs to invest, you get direct access to the CEO of the company. So in this case, the CEO is me. So I'm the one borrowing the money and I'm doing it for something that's very simple to understand. I'm renovating a property and increasing the value. It's not rocket science, right? However, if you walk into Starbucks and you own Starbucks stock, you can't walk in and go, excuse me, can I talk to the CEO, please? Uh, the barista is going to say, what? Yeah, I want to talk about my stock portfolio. I want to see how it's doing. I just want to check up and see how things are going. No, sorry, you can't do that. Can you please get out and do not take the coffee with you, mm -hmm. right? You don't have that access. So unfortunately, when you're investing in the stock market, you're finding out at the same time as the general public. And by then, it's too late. Whereas if you're directing, if you're investing directly with somebody, you can see it. It's bricks and mortar. It's there. And so you don't have to run the, you know, you have access to the CEO. You, you have that communication open and you can really build the relationship. And it's great for guys like us as investors, because for me, I any investor I've ever had who's come in using their RSP, the number one question they have when I tell them that I'm going to pay them out is, do you have something else ready for me? Mm -hmm. They want their money to stay with me. So raising capital, once you get good at it, and it takes practice, and you have to go through some no's and get some experience. But once you become efficient at attracting funds, they come from everywhere and people talk. And they spread, they spread it around quickly, like any news, good or bad. Hey, I'm investing my money with this guy and I'm making 10% return. What? How are you doing that? Oh, you got to call this guy. And then my phone's ringing. So my biggest problem is not money. It's finding deals that fit my system because I'm not willing to compromise that, obviously, at the risk of having it all fall apart. And you're a nice guy. You might even buy your funding investors a coffee yourself. Well, you know, I think that's the least I can do for sure. I'll buy them a coffee. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I find a lot of people want to buy me coffees these days. Uh, you know, there's a lot of requests to get together as, you know, people see you're out there doing stuff just like you guys are. You're taking action. You're putting together this podcast. I know you're both very active. I met you both uh, through real estate events. So you're out there networking, doing all the right things. And so when you go out to those types of situations uh, where you're networking, you know, the people that are really interested in learning how to do it are looking for the people who have already done it. So I often have requests to go out for coffee, for lunch, for dinner, and I, I try to meet with people as often as I can. I, I do travel a lot, so typically I'll try to get them on the phone first, and, you know, uh, a lot of times it's just a, you know, a quick five, ten-minute conversation where I just help them assess where they're at and you know if uh if i see a way for me to help them further then uh, that's usually when we'll get together in person and uh, have further conversation mm -hmm. and now you mentioned the deal itself fitting into your system so do mm -hmm. you want to tell us what that system looks like sure 
Well, my system is all about making money. So uh, I don't really want to buy turnkey properties, which means they've already been renovated and they're ready to go. I'm looking to buy things that I can add value to. So uh, before the call started, we, uh, we were having a little dialogue where Sandy was telling us about a flip that he's working on. And uh, he said he wasn't sure whether he was going to keep it or whether he was going to refinance it uh, or whether he was going to sell it or whether he was going to refinance it and keep it. So for me, my strategy really comes down to will it cash flow when I'm done? So I'm willing to buy anything if I can make a minimum of $30,000 on it. So if it's a flip, I need to know that for sure I'm going to make 30 grand. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it because we can all make 30 grand worth of mistakes no matter how seasoned we are. So I like to know for sure that I have that much of a buffer uh, to, to screw up, really, right? And so um, if somebody brings me a house that's uh, a residential house, for example, uh, let's say I buy something for 200000 I put fifty grand into it, and now it's worth three twenty-five. Well, that property might not cash flow when I'm done. So if it's not going to cash flow after renovating, then my strategy is to sell it. If it is going to cash flow after I'm done renovating, then my strategy is to refinance it, pull out as much money as I can. Sometimes I pull out all the money I put in and I get a bonus check and I still own the property. So that's a great scenario when that happens. Uh, but essentially, that's the strategy. The best strategy is find a property, renovate it, increase rents, refinance, pull money out, hold property, take the same money, repeat process. Mm, recycle it. Awesome. Exactly. Recycle the same money and just keep adding to your portfolio, never putting a dime of your own money into any deal. Very good. I hope this is sinking in for everybody that's listening because this is the formula in my opinion. For sure. I now, hope so. Okay. So now you spoke about your relationship with realtors and mm -hmm. they're part of your team. Now, how do you build the rest of your real estate team, especially when you're investing in areas that you don't live in, because you you live in Ottawa, right? Mm -hmm. and, you're, right. and a lot of your investing is in Hamilton. Absolutely. Well, I'm a member of the Real Estate Investment Network. Uh, it is a huge national network across Canada where uh, people go to to learn the how-to. That's uh, run by uh, Richard Dolan, who's the president. It was founded by Don Campbell uh, over 20 years ago. And basically, they're not there selling anything. They're there to help teach you because they've been there. They've done that. They're giving back. And it's a phenomenal uh, place to be as far as networking and getting that uh, motivation from. So um, that certainly has been a great help to me. So I recommend that people, you know, they go to places like that to get their to get their education and uh, help them move along with their their real estate goals. So what was the question? I forget what the question was. Oh, it was just about building your team. Okay, sorry. Did, so yeah. yeah, so that was a big lead into uh, saying how I build my team. I, so the reason I brought up Rain was simply because uh, I find Rain to be a great source for finding realtors, finding lawyers, finding accountants, because a lot of those professionals uh, are real estate investors already. So for me, I'm particularly attracted to doing business with people who have their own portfolio because they understand my needs as an investor. Imagine this. Imagine if you go to a mortgage broker, okay, and 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 98% of Canadians only own one property, okay? So that means there's only 2% of the files that go across a mortgage broker's desk that are different. So what do you think happens when my file goes across um, a mortgage broker's desk who is not dealing with real estate investors? 
He's going to bury my file. Why? Because it's complicated, confusing, and he doesn't want to face it. Like all of us, we always tend to put off the things that are challenging to us and do the easy stuff first to get it out of the way. And so I really don't want a mortgage broker or anybody on my team who doesn't own real estate uh, themselves or at least have some type of investing experience because um, I want to make sure that I'm with people who just really understand my needs. And uh, I think that's really important. So as far as building that team, I found Rain, and Rain isn't the only solution, but it, it tends to be the main source for me, is uh, I've gone there and that's really how I ramped up. That's how I entered into the Hamilton market. I found a few really good realtors there. Uh, I found a great lawyer there. I found a great uh, accountant there. I found property managers there. I found contractors there. And, and that was a great starting point. Now, it doesn't mean that every one of them was the perfect fit for me, uh, but it was a great way to get into a market. And then through being in that market, through trial and error, you start building other relationships. Uh, I'm very, I, I really strongly believe in that, uh, in you know, meeting people and going to these networking events and, and shaking hands and talking to a, as many people as you can and really connecting with them because you never know at some point when that deal is going to come. Right, Sandy? We're going to do something together soon. That's we'll, it, yeah. We'll, we want to work on something together. I know I've been wanting to do business with you uh, in the Hamilton area. So you never know when that's going to come, but you really want to find who those people are. And just as an example, with both of you guys where, uh, where I've met you, was very credible places, right? And also with Sandy, I know he's a member of Mark Loeffler's team. I follow Mark Loeffler, and uh, through that, I've learned about uh, Kate, who was working for him. And then I heard about Sandy. So I saw Sandy's progress and successes through Facebook, through Mark Loeffler. So I know that Sandy is a very capable guy of handling me as a client. And so to me, that's very attractive. And it's why I want to have conversations with guys like him. Yeah, exactly. And you know that Sandy knows, like you said, it's not just a matter of meeting that contractor or that mortgage broker in person. Right. And you meet somebody like Sandy and he's got access to all kinds of different people that he's met throughout his career. And then you get to know them and, and it just flows outward from there. Absolutely. Yeah, great. All right, uh, perfect. Um, let's take a little quick shift, I guess, a little bit into motivation i know we want to discuss that a little bit tonight rich why is it that people can't stay motivated what's standing in the way i mean there's all this money out there there's access sure. to so many funds and there's so much opportunity what's stopping people from going after it and really killing it in this industry or really any other industry sure there's a few things i think the number one thing is their reason is not clear their why so you really have to know why you want something. If life is treating you okay and you really don't have any needs or really big desires or really goals, uh, you know, we all know people who are just kind of coasting through life. They're here, but they're not really contributing anything to society. They're just existing. And so, you know, there's not much you can do to people who are not motivated to improve themselves. But uh, if you really want to accomplish something, you have to figure out what the real reason why is, because... Uh, let's say, for example, you go to the gym. Nobody loves running on the treadmill. Nobody loves doing sit-ups. But, uh, well, maybe some people do. I don't. But, uh, you know, if you don't have an end goal for the reason you're doing it and you're not really clear on what your motive is, then you're going to quit because it's easy to quit when nobody's holding you accountable. That's the fact. The other thing is is that a lot of people, they 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 consume knowledge, 
right? They go out there with the best intentions, but they don't have a plan to put that into action. And so you're not, you know, you could come to a presentation, and I talked about this last night in Toronto, is you can sit there and you can consume all the information and go, wow, this is amazing content. But the reality is, is the next day you go back to your everyday life. And so even though you, you listen, you took the content in, you filed it in your encyclopedia brain, uh, when, when you go back to work the next day, life takes over. And then a week goes by, two weeks go by, and then in three, four weeks, half the content is forgotten. And then just something, you go on to new content. So there's a difference between how and how to. So in how, you're filing information into the encyclopedia, part of your brain. In the how to, it's a totally different way of thinking. So when you're at these events, when you're out there learning, the question you really should be asking yourself is, what can I do tomorrow with one simple step to be able to implement something that I just learned here tonight? That's really all it takes to have success is a series of small steps and, and, and an action, taking action, having focus, and staying around people who motivate and inspire you. That's very important. And that's why I'm a part of RAIN. Uh, we launched uh, RAIN Ottawa, which I played a, a large role in having RAIN come there. And I really believe that uh, there was a need for it because – uh, I know for me personally, I, you know, I grew up in the north end of Hamilton, uh, down in the Barton and Sherman area. It wasn't a great upbringing down there, and I really didn't have anybody in my life who was uh, teaching me anything about financial education. It was whatever you learned in school, and your parents taught you to save your money, don't spend any money on things you don't have cash for, and, uh, and take your money to the bank and invest it through a financial planner, the guy at the bank. Uh, not really great advice because it doesn't at all talk about the power of leverage and, uh, you know, using your money to buy assets instead of buying things that you don't need. Uh, so, you know, I took the inspiration that I got from uh, people who were doing what it is that I wanted to do. When I was young, I looked up to sports figures. I looked up to Wayne Gretzky. I really looked up to Michael Jordan, loved him. And guess what? As a result, I was a better basketball player. I wasn't a great hockey player because, you know, I lived in Hamilton and we didn't have a NHL franchise, but we did have the CFL. I, I looked up to players like Grover Covington. Uh, he was a great defenseman for uh, played defense uh, for uh, the Ticats uh, in the 80s. Uh, and, you know, I really enjoyed playing football by being inspired by those guys because I went to Prince of Wales uh, Public School, which was directly across the street mm -hmm. from the Iverwind Stadium. And at that time, from the third floor of the school – you could actually see on the football field. So they would be having their afternoon practices and I would be daydreaming out the window, pretending that I was a football player just like them. And the teachers would say, Rich, Rich. Oh, oh sorry. Sorry. What was the question? What was the question? I was off uh, daydreaming uh, because my heroes were across the street. Nowadays, my heroes are different. They're not sports figures anymore. It's people who are doing what it is that I want to achieve. And so if you can find a way to be around those people, they'll motivate you and inspire you. They'll help you get clear on your why. And you will be able to achieve results you never even dreamed possible. And that's a fact. And I know that because I've done it. See, I think and that's the real key point there is that if you were in class and your goal in life was to be a teacher, well, you might have been glued to whatever the teacher was saying, saying instead of staring out the window. But the key is to understand your your like understand your goals and what you want, and absolutely. yeah, that's absolutely the key to it. Because you know another funny thing is 
Rich, you do a presentation of how to find private deals. I do a similar one. And, you know, some people will just, they don't get it. They go, well, okay, but, but how do I do it? Like where, you know, give me the magic bullet. That's what I want. I want the magic bullet. I go, well, no, no, no. Like, yeah, here's, here's what it is. You go, you work hard and you Mm -hmm. do that every single day. And you do the things I told you every single day until it works. Right. And they go, yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, like, you know, give me the secret and they don't get it. Yeah. And you know what, Rob, that's an excellent point. And it it speaks to what I was talking about earlier, where uh, their end goal is not clear enough for them. It's not strong enough. Their why is not clear enough, which means they give up. It's just like being in there in the gym and nobody's watching you. You're tired and you're not producing a result that you can see immediately. So you quit. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, there is no magic bullet for anything. It takes hard work. It takes motivation. And a lot of that work you have to do on your own when nobody's around and nobody's watching you. We can all be out there and, you know, be on the stage and talking and stuff. But that's not where I make my money. I make my money by doing. And so in order to keep myself motivated, I have to hang around people who just continue to lift me up. And those people change. And the other thing is I try to make sure I don't spend any time with people who drag me down. There are so many naysayers out there. They'll say, well, you know, they're – there is no magic pill. There's a there's a bubble. You know, the market's going to crash. It's too risky. I can't believe you're doing it. No, no, I'm going to put my money safe where it's safe in the bank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is not where your money is safe, right? There's a lot to be said for those who understand that and get out there and find the people who can motivate them, inspire them. So it changes. So as far as spending time with people, you know, I'm careful with the time that I have because, first of all, I have four kids, as I I mentioned earlier, and uh, my time with them is extremely important to me, and they're all at different ages, so they need my time in different ways. And then, of course, there's time with my wife and then time with my friends. So I choose my friends very carefully. Uh, I try to stick around people who they have goals, you know, that they have ambition. I, I, I used to be a therapist for a lot of my friends because I was a person who really, in their eyes, seemed to have things figured out. And And so a lot of times people will go to you and they'll keep you on the phone for hours and hours, you know, walking you through all of their problems or looking for advice, but they don't actually do anything to help themselves. And so I used to feel good about myself for helping those people. uh, But I realized, you know, a lot of times I'm not really helping them because they don't want help. They just want somebody to listen. And I can't be that person for everybody. So, you know, I had to limit the people that I spend my time with. And I think in high school, you know, we don't really choose our friends. Uh, they choose us by circumstance, right? And so, um, you know, as you get older, you really got to surround yourself with people who inspire you to push forward. Exactly. Yeah, all of that is great advice. I really, <laughs> I really hope now, this is a good episode. I hope that people uh, are letting this all sink in. Um, now, you mentioned the book already, the uh, Napoleon Hill. Right. Um, <clears throat> so we won't ask you about a book that you would recommend. We'll just use that one. But is there a quote or a piece of advice, you know, that's always stuck with you and how has that helped you? Sure. Well, well, the quote is Wayne Gretzky's. It's you miss 100 percent of the shots that you don't take. Wayne Gretzky is not the best hockey player in the world, although many Canadians would argue with you that he is the greatest of all time. The truth of the matter is that the greatest of all time is not on the rink. He quit. He gave up. He had more talent than Wayne Gretzky and would have been a much better player. But unfortunately, he didn't have the mental fortitude. And so by default, Wayne Gretzky's hard work and effort put him into the Canadian Canadian sports history Hall of Fame. And so really, I think, you know, it's 
important to know that that inspiration comes from listening to those types of people and knowing that you're capable you really really are capable you just have to get out there and try it and once you start having some successes your confidence will grow and uh, by the way back to the book thing i'm not so sure we talked about that on the air uh we might have talked about that before uh the book that we were talking about was right yeah outwitting the devil (laughs) you're right yeah the, the book was called outwitting the devil by napoleon hill and what i was telling you guys was uh I just had my birthday yesterday, and um, and you guys were asking me what I got for my birthday. My son is 18 years old, and he just started at McMaster University, and he asked me what I wanted for my birthday. I told him what I wanted was a text from him on my birthday letting me know that he read this book, Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. Uh, I have a lot of uh, – I don't need stuff. As you get older, I'm over 40 now, so I, I don't need any new stuff. Just, you know, I would rather uh, – the gift to me is knowing that my children – are doing well and so by him reading that book that's really a great gift to me and so he did he did by the way he read it early and we actually talked about it i'm actually in hamilton right now at his place uh sitting in his basement <laughs> uh, so uh you know earlier tonight he made me dinner which was the first one so a little off topic but uh, i spent 18 years making dinner for my son and tonight he made me a, a, a wonderful uh, dinner chicken salad and and um, baked potato stuff with sour cream and bacon and cheese. It was great. But uh, that's a little off topic, but I just feel I needed to put that out there. But uh, anyways, uh, that book is phenomenal. The Napoleon Hill book, Think and Grow Rich, also a, a phenomenal book. And uh, The 4-Hour Workweek, uh, also a great book. Anything by Tony Robbins is motivational. Donald Trump books, Robert Kiyosaki, Think and Grow Rich. There are many, many books to get started with. Those are just some books that I found to be really helpful for providing both practical knowledge and motivation to believe that you can do it. And an awesome way to check those out is to go over to our website and uh, click on our get a free audio book, which will take you to Audible. And if you sign up there, you can get a free audio book just like one of the ones that you heard uh, Rich just mentioned there. All right, perfect. I'm logging in right now. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Oh, that's a great episode. I love it. Me too. Great so, stuff. Rich, how can people get in touch with you? Where can they connect with you? Sure. Uh, well, you can find me through just Googling my name. I'm pretty easy to find. You can find me through LinkedIn, through Facebook. I don't add people as friends unless I know who they are, but you can still message me through Facebook. Uh, you can email me through my website uh, or just send me an email to rich at richottawainvestments.com. So I'm easy to get a hold of. I'm on Twitter at Rich Ottawa is my Twitter name. So I'm there. I'm there for you. If you have questions, you know, if you want to find out how you can do this yourself, either through the mentoring or coaching program that I offer. And just to explain the difference between the mentoring and coaching, uh, mentoring is just it's 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 more uh, affordable. So really, it's like having an accountability partner. You know, a lot of times, you know, it's not that you can't get something done. But if you have an accountability partner who you really don't want to embarrass yourself around, you know, somebody who is doing what it is you want to do, you're, you're going to get it done if you have a conversation. If you tell somebody you're going to do something that you respect, then you're more likely to do it. And, uh, you know, and that's kind of the, you know, speaks to why you want to surround yourself with quality people. Uh, so the mentor program that I offer is, you know, just checking in. Let's check in every couple of weeks and see how you're doing. So it's a really quick call, 10 minutes. Uh, tell me how you're doing. Let's update me. Okay. And I'll give you a couple of tips. And then that's the end of the call. The coaching is a little bit more intense. It's more about teaching you some how-to, some, you know, these are the things that I'm dealing with right now. Uh, how can you help me through them? And so, you know, everybody's in a different situation. You could read, 
all the books in the world, but the only problem with the book is it doesn't speak directly to you and your circumstances. So a lot of times after you read a book, the question you may have is, yeah, but how does that apply to me? How can I make that apply to me? So I'm there to help fill in that void, to help you figure out how you can turn you know, knowledge into um, uh, practical exercises that can start moving you closer to your financial goals. That's awesome. So who, who is your ideal, like who's the ideal person to be contacting you about coaching? I think it's anybody, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, I have, you know, I have clients who are, uh, are seasoned real estate investors themselves. They're actually, they are RAIN members. Uh, so I, I am a, an, uh, a real estate investment advisor with the Real Estate Investment Network, RAIN. So I have clients through through them, people who are joining and, uh, you know, they're looking for somebody who can, you know, point them in the right direction. And then I have uh, many clients from other different sources. People are just saying, I, I, I want to get to the next level. And, you know, we all should have a coach in our life. We all should. And, you know, we all outgrow their coaches. We all outgrow our coaches as well. So those cycles may only be, you know, three month time frames or six month time frames. And then, you know, you take everything you can from that experience. And then you find another coach who has a completely different set of uh, experience and knowledge to pass on. So, um, you know, I don't uh, pretend to have all the answers to all, all of everybody's questions uh, because real estate really is a 30 lane highway. Uh, you can do uh, any number of different strategies. Um, so I don't, I don't pretend that I know all the answers, but I do know that if I don't know the answer that I'm connected to somebody who does. And that's uh, a wonderful thing about being part of uh, uh, an amazing network like uh, Ring. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm a huge advocate of coaches. I, I have two in my life right now that are uh, like actively speaking with regularly. It's just it's such a, such a major difference in your life, having that accountability there. Um, yeah, me too. So. I'm in a mentorship program right mm -hmm. now as well. Well, I think people see it as an expense. They don't see it as an investment. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know what? Uh, and sometimes it, you know, sometimes that's mindset, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and and fear, you know. Uh, but the reality is, is that you know, once you spend that money and you produce a result, um, you know, it's worth every penny. If you have a coach who teaches you a strategy on how to do something and you make money at it, well, you essentially are paying your coach through that future profit. And every coach that you hire should have the credentials. Uh, I mean, you would obviously know this in advance through research of who that coach is and who they've coached. And I would always recommend asking for referrals, um, you know, because there are a lot of slick talkers out there who maybe they don't have the experience, uh, but they can, you know, they, they can put together a pretty compelling sales pitch. So you want to definitely find out what that person's experience is and make sure that it's in line with uh, what it is that you're looking to learn yourself. We will have links to all of Rich's services in the show notes over on the website. So go over to his podcast, uh, episode number 32, and check in the show notes, and you'll be able to contact Rich through there. So, Rich, thanks again, man. This has been a great interview, and uh, happy birthday. I'm looking forward to that when my kids make me dinner on my birthday. <laughs> that hasn't happened. <laughs> That'll be pretty messy right now, Rob, I think. Yeah, well, it would be. <laughs> give right. that some time. I'd, yeah. I'd be eating zoodles. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's great. Uh, no, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate having the opportunity to be on your show. It was, it was great to meet with both of you, and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to spend more time together in the near future. For sure. I really appreciate it. It's been fantastic. No problem. Thanks, guys. Very good. Have a good night. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye.